to the Life in Paradise podcast. Today is Sunday, December 27th, 2020. Only a few more days till we get to end this forsaken year. Which really, you know, it's just a continuation. Oh, wait, wait, wait. This is the intro. Thanks for tuning in to the Life in Paradise podcast. My name is Brandon Hopper. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and lots and lots and lots of opinions. I used to actually live in Paradise, which was San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua. Since then, things have changed, and now I live in Corpus Christi, Texas, which is not Paradise, but it's close. I'm the co-owner of a small brewery called New Oasis Brewing Company. I come here about once a week or so to get all of my thoughts and opinions and criticisms off my chest. I appreciate you listening. Oh, yeah, and I don't do pre-recorded intros. Today might be a short show. I'm feeling rather perturbed, but I'll get into that. For now, sit back, relax, and hand over the nuclear football to me for about the next 30 or 45 minutes. Twin fiddles playing in my memory, my daddy said, wonders of old cow town. Overhead and he's still there Under the sky so warm and fair Well I tell you friends There's a song in every town So sing me one more song About old Santo Seemed like a dream now It was so long Well, well, well I successfully made it through my 42nd Christmas This Christmas was by far the most alone I've ever felt and you know I'm not gonna sit here and say it was because of COVID although we did cancel our family Christmas and it had to do with COVID I do not blame COVID for the cancellation of life I blame our reaction to COVID I'm probably gonna get into it more a little bit later but I just think it's time to move on we stopped quarantining the healthy we stopped making rules that prevent the healthy from living their life, and we just move on. I'm going to touch on that probably a little bit later. But speaking of monsters, I've got a fig monster on my hands. And you might be asking yourself, what in the world is a fig monster? Actually, on my notes, it says figgy monster. (laughs) I don't know how that happened. But my little dog Bronco, 12-year-old, half lab, half golden retriever, Pretty much walks around with a halo and and angel wings on. Like the little dog just wants to be right. He doesn't want trouble. He doesn't want to fight. He doesn't care about barking at anything. Maybe he barks to chase the four-wheeler or to play fetch. Other than that, the dog does not bark. If he barks, I pay attention because there's something serious going on. And he loves beer. Every year for his birthday, he gets a full beer and he gets to get up on something high and drink his entire beer in his bowl and then he goes to sleep. It's his tradition. But anyway, I was outside in the backyard last week and I have a fig tree that a friend of mine gave me. She planted it. It was real small and now it's grown. It's probably three and a half, four feet tall and it's starting to produce little figs. 
And I looked over there and Bronco was plucking the figs off of the tree and actually consuming them. He would also root around in the ground and pick some up off the ground and chew them up. And I, I think that if I wouldn't have stopped him, he would have plucked every ripe fig off that tree, which has got to be great for a dog to realize that they just have like a, a fig buffet that they can go to whenever because, I mean, most of their lives they're spent waiting for us to feed them. But once he learned that he could go to that fig tree and get a little snack, I open the door. He just runs over there to it every time looking for purple figs to eat. I think it's funny. At first, I was like trying to stop him, you know. I was like, Bronco, stop. Don't eat that. Don't eat those figs. And then I'm like, I'm not going to eat those figs. I mean, there's only like, it's a small tree. So there's like five or ten figs at a time. One day, you mark my word, I will make some fig jam. And Bronco will have to share his figs with me. But until then... I don't care if he eats the figs. I should probably do a quick search and make sure figs aren't poisonous to dogs, but he's eaten a lot nastier things in his day. I've also got a lemon tree in my yard that is jam-packed full of lemons. And I know it sounds great, like, oh, fresh lemons, yay, you've got fresh lemons and lemons. You, got, you have all the lemons you could possibly want. My problem is that nobody wants lemons in December. I don't know if my lemon tree is confused or what, but it produces tree, It produces lemons like November, December. And I remember last year, I spent an entire Saturday or Sunday playing with lemons. I picked them all. I peeled them. I made lemon candy. I made lemon juice. I made lemon simple syrup. I made lemon ice cubes. I made anything. Oh, limoncello. I made a dozen bottles of limoncello. Anything you can think of with lemons, I did it. I'm not doing that this year. I'm going to pick them, try to give them away, and I'm throwing away whatever doesn't get used. But is it normal to have lemons that that produce in December? It's probably confused because of the climate, if I had to guess. Corpus Christi really, really confuses people with its climate, even the weatherman. You know what I'm sick of? I'm sick of people deeming words and phrases offensive. I'm sick of people making policy and decisions and rules based on feelings. And when when you'll hear this more frequently is if there's a, um, oh, let's just say there's been a school shooting. Hopefully we never have one again, but let's just say there was one. And someone speaks out and says, you know, statistically school shootings don't happen very often. And then there's always someone that says, you can't say that unless you have kids in school. It's a different story if you have kids in school and they can get shot and then you'd feel different. But I'm of the mindset that we don't, we don't need to have those feelings in order to make decisions. Because we can all agree, we can all agree that we want zero kids to be shot. Whether we have kids or don't have kids, nobody wants them to be shot in school. So the argument of you can't say that because you don't have kids is completely invalid to me. And I feel the same way with phrases that are getting canceled left and right. That, that people are just, just randomly picking phrases and words to be offensive. And I don't even know if there's a need to go into details or to give examples because we all know what I'm talking about. You know what? I will. I will give an example. Let's just use the, um, oh, I think the Cleveland Indians are going to be the next group to, uh, to delete the word Indian from their name, their mascot. They're going to pick a new mascot because Indian is, I, I guess it's offensive, but it's, it's really kind of funny to me, actually. The word Indian, it's like 
So it all goes back to when we were, when Europe was exploring the West, right? They showed up to the, the Caribbean or in the U.S. and they're like, oh, we, f- we found the Western Indies. And then so these people come out and we're like, oh, you're Indians. And come to find out, nope, this is a new world. But uh, we're still going to call you Indians. So it's like, wait a minute. We've all figured out that we're not actually in India. There are native people to this continent, but we're going to still go ahead and just call them Indians. (laughs) How silly was that? So now here we are. When we refer to Indians in the U.S., we have to either say feather or dot, you know, whatever the term is. We have to distinguish between the two. And for whatever reason, somebody feels the need to rename sports teams that have anything to do with Native Americans. I have not heard one protest from any tribe or reservation or anyone who's actually a Native American being offended by the Redskins, the Braves, Indians. I mean, really? We created the um, mascot in honor of them. Like, I mean, they're fierce warriors that are brave and skillful and so we wanted to project that image from the team. And here we are faced with the, the idea that it's offensive to people. And really what's happening is we've got a group of 20-something-year-olds in the marketing department who have never experienced life, who have never been around one person who's a Native American, but they scream so loud and they advocate so hard that the name get changed that management and ownership is like, fine, fine, whatever. If that's what everyone's doing, then we'll just do it. Then you add a couple of um, a couple of woke hipsters to the mix from the outside, some journalists or somebody who writes for Vice, and they and they say, oh yeah, they're they're doing the right thing. That's that's the right thing. So now they get a little bit of street cred. In the meantime, it costs them a fortune to do all this, and no one's even offended. Listen, I would totally understand. If there was some term that we used to describe Native Americans, I don't even know what that would be. And it doesn't really matter because you can you can apply that to, you know, let's just say that there was a, a derogatory term for black people. And there was teams named after that. And everyone could agree that this was an offensive word or it was unacceptable to use in public. Okay, change the names. You change the names. But don't go reaching, don't go searching for something in order to try to gain some respect. And I really do think that's what's happening with some of these teams is that you've got some these people in the marketing department who are like, look, we're the Redskins. We can say that it's offensive. We're going to get a bunch of attention. We're going to get a bunch of media coverage. And we could change the name at the same time. And so that's how they pitch it to the owners. I mean, at some point, we're going to have to stand up and say, no, this is not offensive to everyone. Because what, what metrics are they using to determine whether or not something is considered offensive? And there are plenty of words that we don't need to use metrics. We don't need to take a study to figure out if the N-word is offensive. We all know that. And yes, I realize it's only offensive if some people use it a certain way. I get it. So we don't use it that way. And we sit around while we other people sit around and whine about the way that black people use the word, but they don't do anything to change anything. So there's that. My opinion is the words don't matter. It doesn't matter what you say. It matters how you feel. 
It matters your intentions behind the words. And if you're applying them to one specific person, or if you're applying that adjective to a subset of people, and maybe it's an incorrect stereotype, then yes, that does matter. You should not do that. But if I see a bum and he's sitting on a bench and he's just drinking wine all day, I'm going to call him a wino. If I see a guy that's front teeth are all rotted out from smoking meth and he's got sores all over him and he doesn't work and he's got a different car every week of the month, yep, I'm going to call him a meth head. I will because they're a meth head. They do meth, they're a meth head. Once again, I think this is something that should be addressed on a personal level. If someone says something that offends you, it's your responsibility to speak up and tell them why you'd rather them not say that. Personally, I would rather just not listen to them. I don't think it's anyone's responsibility to tell people what they can and cannot say. People choose to be offended, and you have to choose not to offend people. And if someone chooses not to offend people, that's their decision. That's their right. People can say whatever they want to say. Does that mean we have to take them seriously? No. Does that mean we have to look up to them? No. Does that mean that we have to respect their opinions? No. I would rather people be able to speak their mind just so I know exactly where they stand. Because think about it. We're canceling all these words and terms and phrases. People aren't going to say them no matter how they feel because they don't want to deal with the backlash. Now, is there any way to accurately assess how these people feel or their priorities? No, because we're turning them into robots by telling them what they can and cannot say. You know what the fastest way to extinguish a behavior is? Ignore it or correct it. One of the two. You know, if someone uses a word you don't like, you can just stop and look at them. And you can say, surely you could pick a better word than that one. Or you could just ignore them, pretend like they didn't say a word. And if they say, did you hear me? Say, I'm going to give you a chance to rephrase that. Maybe you could use some better words next time. You know, th- this, is, this is what we're losing. We're, we're losing people's comfort to do that, right? So for whatever reason, people feel less comfortable confronting people with things they don't like. So what's the solution? The solution is tell Big Brother, the government, to step in. And now you be the referee. And now you tell this guy what they can say about this guy and this guy what he's not allowed to say about this guy. And it's just another facet of our lives that we're, we're unlearning how to sort through problems. To me, this is a huge issue. We're unlearning how to sort through problems without a governing body. A governing body is nothing more than a group of humans. It's a, it's a collective of people and their opinions. And so instead of trusting our own instincts and our own reasoning and our own problem solving, at the individual level, we want to just push the responsibility off onto someone else who we just assume is going to have great intentions for everyone, no motives, they don't owe any favors to anyone. They're just going to just govern and rule what's best for everyone. That, that blows my mind. Just hearing that and saying it and thinking it, trusting someone else with your livelihood more than yourself, crazy, crazy talk. I'm moving to Mars. That's it. I'm out. Maybe I'm not moving to Mars. I don't know. But I just don't like it. And I wish people would see, you know, things change at such a slow rate that we don't see it. We see such a small change. (laughs) You know what phrase is funny to me? My old lady. (laughs) When guys call their wives to their girlfriend, 
their old lady. <laughs> that makes me laugh. It's kind of an older person thing to say. It doesn't really happen that much anymore. Only certain demographics do it. But man, that those little things like that just make me laugh. Like also calling the old ball and chain. <laughs> the old ball and chain. Because I think about like what happens when you tie a ball and chain to someone's ankle. Like they can move around and they could be free and they can go do things kind of, but they don't have all the freedoms that they used to have without the ball and chain attached to their ankle. I, my best friend growing up, his, uh, his grandfather, he loved dogs. And Grand Grand was his name. And he loved dogs so much that we'd go out to eat and, you know, he'd want to he'd take some leftovers back for his dogs. And so the whole family would ask him, like, okay, Grand Grand, should we get you some to-go boxes? He goes, I don't need no to-go box. And he would pull out a wad of Ziploc bags out of his pocket and start stuffing food from all the plates in there. And he'd put it all back in his pocket and he'd go home and give it to his dogs. But the reason I brought that up is because his method to keep dogs from running off, you know, they had a they had a little three, two, three bedroom house and it was on like an acre and a half, something like that. And there was no fence. And so he'd have to tie up his dogs and some of them he would keep in, in kennels. But the, the ones that he tied up, he would tie them <laughs> to these drill bits. And when I say drill bits, I'm talking about that they used to, to drill through the earth in search for oil or natural gas. And so these things are smaller than a basketball, but they weigh a ton. Not literally a ton, but they weigh a bunch, 75, 80 pounds, something like that. Very, very, very dense metal. And so he would tie his dogs up to that so they, <laughs> they, could, they could move around the yard, but they weren't going to go far. Oh, that's so funny. So, yeah, anyway, the old ball and chain, I think that's a very, very funny term. Uh, I don't know what else, just that it's a funny term, and no one has found those types of words offensive. The old lady, the old ball and chain, you know, it's only certain groups of people that we're out to protect, and those groups of people, they don't even stand up and complain. It's the strangest phenomenon. Speaking of phenomenons, our family Christmas was canceled at the last minute. Somebody was around somebody who think they tested positive for COVID, so everybody just flipped out, scrapped the whole thing, and I spent Christmas alone. I did go over to a friend's house for a little bit, uh, my buddy Dean, who's a chef. And man, I don't, there's not many better places to go on Christmas than to a chef's house because he did it upright, man. He had this roasted turkey and this beef tenderloin and all kinds of stuff. But yeah, other than that, I spent my day alone with uh, my Christmas present to myself. So the day before Christmas, driving home after work, I thought, I'm going to go buy myself a Christmas present. I'm going to leave it in my truck, and then I'm going to get it out Christmas morning. And whatever I buy, I'm going to do whatever it is I intend to do with it. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go buy myself a remote control car. And uh, yeah, having a remote control toy isn't exactly, this isn't my first rodeo. <laughs> I've been known to have a few remote-controlled things lying around. The last one I had was a gas-powered remote-controlled truck. And man, every time I got that thing out, something would break. And they make these things that are so powerful that, you know, they run 40, 50, 60 miles an hour. And when you hit something going that fast, it just destroys it. So I went by the hobby shop and I said, I want that car. And I'd done some research, figured out what I wanted. Got it, brought it home, 
took everything I had to not take it out of the box, but I got out the battery and I got it charged. And then Christmas morning, I woke up, I made me some coffee, a little bit of breakfast. I put my car together and I drove it and I drove it and I drove it and I drove it. I have a pretty good sized backyard, so there's just enough space in there to get it up to full speed. Um, but yeah, super fun. I love remote control cars. They're so nerdy. I get it. I know, but they're fun. Maybe one day I'll get into drones, but it's just so windy here. I think I feel like drones would be pretty tough, but this little car is fun. It's got a top speed of 60 miles an hour. It'll ride a wheelie. It'll flip over. It'll jump. It'll bash. It'll do whatever you want it to do. Gypsy hates it. She chases it and barks at it, acts like she wants to bite it. So that was my Christmas present to myself. I just, I remember being a kid, and obviously it doesn't bring the same amount of joy, but I remember being a kid and like wanting something for six months. And then, man, you couldn't hardly sleep the night before Christmas. And then you wake up at 4 30, 5 o'clock in the morning, and you're, you're not sure if you should go wake up your parents or just go in there and see what Santa Claus brought, or you walk out there and you take a little peek and it's dark, you can't really see. And then it comes time to walk in there. The parents tell you, don't come in here yet. Don't come in here. Don't, you wait in your room. And then they get all set up with the camera and you're rubbing the sleep out of your eyes. And you're walking in there and you see the remote control car. And at that point, everything else goes blurry. Nothing else matters. You got this car. You got the controller. This thing is like emitting waves of light and, and pleasure and man, I, I wish so bad that we could instill that feeling in ourselves. Go back and relive that. I just, I don't think it's possible. I don't know. You know, I think seeing your kids have that experience is probably close, as close as we can get to it. I don't know for sure, but that's, that's what I'm guessing. I don't have kids, but if I did, I would think that that's probably pretty close. Other than that, a winning lotto ticket might do the trick. Speaking of winning lotto tickets, I'm sure most of you are aware that the uh, the House bill made it through to Trump's desk so that we could get our $600 stimulus check money. And he didn't sign it. He did not sign it. He said, oh, no, I want $2,000 per person. And then he went on to dissect the bill and talk about all this foreign aid that was in there and money going for this and money going for that. There was unnecessary. And then so I did some research and I figured out that, that the bill that was going through there was an appropriations bill. It was basically they create a budget every year for the federal government and they allot money. So this much money goes to this, this much for that, and then all gets assigned. Well, then they have to create a bill that goes to a law that allows that money to be created or spent or redirected or managed or whatever. And so they just combine the two bills. They, they combine the COVID relief package with the, it's called an omnibus bill. And so they put those two together. Well, I don't know if Trump understood that or didn't understand it, but he went through it and he said, why are we only giving $600 a person you know, we're giving this much money to Israel and this much to Iran and this much to Pakistan. But in reality, that money had been allocated long ago. And so, you know what, though? I, I, I wish in times like these, we should cut our foreign aid money. 
Now, what a lot of people don't realize is that we, we get something for that money, right? So when we give money to a country, it doesn't come without a string attached to it. You know, um, in Israel, we give them money so that we have a home base in the middle of a hot zone. And so every country that we support or give money to, they repay the favor in one way or another. But in times like these, I would be perfectly fine with renegotiating these deals or saying, hey, guys, we're in a bind. We're not, we're not giving you money, Uzbekistan. Sorry, we don't need your natural gas. We're in our own bind. Figure it out. We'll see you next year. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, I think if he doesn't do anything, it becomes law automatically. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. I don't, I don't want to be one of those people that just acts like they know what they're talking about because I'm really not sure. All I know is it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, really, though, that, who, who thinks that 600 bucks is going to make a difference in anyone's home? You know, the, the whole stimulus thing is kind of a joke. What, all, all that does is transfer up to the wealthy people. And I know when I say things like wealthy, there's no, there's no defining number. But it basically, the, the people who receive the money that actually need it, they go and they spend it. The people who don't need it, they don't spend it. They just save it or invest it. So now the people who have spent it have given it away in exchange for a good or service. Now, chances are the person who provided that good or service has some sort of vested interest. Either it's a small business or it's a big business, but they now have 600 bucks they didn't have. The, the product is now in the hands of the person who spent it. So that, that wealth stays with the wealthy, right? It, it takes, you know, if someone gets a $600 check and they go, about, and they go buy three pair of shoes, their 600 bucks is gone. The money has been transferred to the person who sells shoes. And so these stimulus packages, they just, it's a big bump in the short run. And then after that, it doesn't, it doesn't do any good. It just kind of all levels out and washes away. It ends up in the checking accounts of the people who own businesses, which is good because they need help right now too. So I get it. That's why they, they put it in the hands of the people knowing that they'll spend it. At the same time, it, it's a, it's just another thing that people say contributes to the quote-unquote wealth gap, which is kind of a funny word. It's a buzzword. And the next time that you think that we have this big, nasty wealth gap in the U.S., and there's so much between the wealthy and the poor, I want you to think about the middle class and some of the things they have in their life that no other country has. Well, other countries might have these things, but... It's very unlikely that the middle class or working class has all of them at the same time. iPhone, right? This is, a, this is something that the president of the United States, all the actors in Hollywood, all of the musicians, Wall Street, all the dentists, all the doctors, all the people who pick up trash, all the people who serve hot dogs as a hot dog vendor, we all have the exact same technology in our pockets. That is is amazing. Because if you think about things like cars, sure, we all have cars. The wealthy drive around Rolls Royce and the unwealthy drive around Camaros. Now, they both still have cars, but they're very, very different cars. But things like iPhone, it's the same iPhone. The iPhone 12 Max Pro Super Duper blah, blah, blah is the same. And it's not unreasonable for someone who makes $40,000 a year to have one. Not at all. 
think about things like being able to get on your iPhone 12 Max Super Duper, blah, 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 and being able to adjust the thermostat in your house. Do you know anyone who can't afford to buy a thermostat that gets on Wi-Fi? Probably not. There are some people out there who can't, but there's not many. What about a remote start vehicle so that your vehicle can be hot or cooled depending on the weather by the time you get to it? How uncommon is that? Do only the wealthy have that or can pretty much anyone you know afford that? What about going to Disneyland? Take a guess at how many people in the U.S. or how many visitors the Disney theme parks had in 2019. So there's eight parks throughout the U.S. I'm not going to go through them. You can look it up if you want. Just sit here for a second and take a guess. Number of people that combined visited these parks. Surely some of them may have been two or three times. I get that. But we don't have that information, so let's just go with what we have. 90 million 91.5 million to be exact. That's almost a third of the population. 27% to be exact. So that think about what it costs to go to a Disney theme park. Even if you live in the town, it's 60, 70 bucks a person plus food. I don't know for sure, but that would be my guess plus parking. So let's talk about out of town because most people probably come from out of town. You got to travel there which means you either got to buy fuel or you got to buy plane tickets or bus tickets. Now you got to stay at a hotel. You have to eat all of your meals out, or I guess you can pack peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but most people eat out. You got the tickets to the theme park. You got the souvenirs. We're not talking about chump change. We're talking if you have a family of four, I'm just going to shoot from the hip. I'm going to say five to $7,000 would be on the frugal side. Now, that's just that's a third of our population that just went to the Disney parks. I'm sure there's another third that went to other places. So I'm not going to make up statistics, but you can see that a large portion of our population spends five to seven thousand dollars on a vacation. Now, how can you sit here and tell me that our middle class is just it's struggling? And then they're not going to make it. And then we have a wealth gap. No, we really don't. We really don't have a wealth gap. I mean, we do. But the people at the bottom of this gap are the people that a vast majority of the people within the bell curve are completely fine. They're completely fine. And you know what? The beauty of this country, if they're not completely fine, if they don't like it, if they want something different, they can do it. Much easier than probably any other country. I just finished a great audiobook. It's called Around the World in More Than 80 Days. And it's this guy who set out for two years, him and his son, traveling the earth looking for the best place to live, worship, and do business. I think they went to 40-something countries, and he ranked them all, you know, zero to ten stars. Super cool book. As conclusion, by far, the U.S. was the best. If you're going to be a regular average person in the middle class, which is what the U.S. is primarily made of, there's no better place in the U.S. And I agree. I've seen a lot of the world. And when I travel, I look for the same things, you know. I I want to know what it's like to, to live there, not just go there on vacation. Because part of my psyche 
good, bad, or indifferent is that I'm constantly looking for a better way to do something, a more efficient way, a more enjoyable way, you know, and, and, and I've been criticized my whole life for it, you know. It's not that I'm dissatisfied with something. It's just, it's just part of my nature to find something better. And, and I guess it can be a bad characteristic. I don't know. But me and my best friend in ninth grade, we used to sit there with an auto trader book. And we would pretend that we each had $10,000. And we would say, okay, what's the best you can do at 10000 And so maybe we would buy like two motorcycles and a car. Or sometimes we would go all in on a $10,000 car, which in 1993 went a lot farther than today. And so it's just, it's just naturally, I always look for just things that maybe could be done better. Okay, enough about that. There is a wealth gap. It might be big, but the people on the bottom side of it, they're not, they don't have it that bad off. Moving along. I've had two failed attempts at making curry. <laughs> I will keep you updated. I'm not going to talk about curry much because I talked about it on the last two episodes, I think. So anyway, I've had two attempts to make it. Neither one of them were bad. They just weren't good. So I'm going to keep trying. I'm not going to give up. Speaking of giving up or keep trying, we're already arguing about the vaccines. I'm sure you've heard it. But some people are saying, oh, no, doctors shouldn't get it before old people. And some people are saying old people shouldn't get it before minorities. And some people are saying minorities shouldn't get it before doctors. And so we still got a long ways to go. I'm not going to get involved. I don't care. Whoever you think needs the vaccine, get the vaccine. I'm just grateful that Trump dangled the carrot in front of him and he said, I will make all of you rich. Just give me a vaccine. Had it been me, I probably would have produced sugar water and I'd have said, here you go, buddy. Here's a vaccine. Tell everyone to get back to work. No, I'm just kidding. But you're going to see this nonstop arguing. It's going to go on and on for a while. And and just like just like with how we handled the, the pandemic, the next time it happens, the same thing will happen again. And that's because we weren't allowed to sort it out without a governing body. I know it seems foreign. It seems impossible. It seems like there's no way that we could figure out who gets it. What do we use to figure out who gets the latest and greatest cancer drugs? How do we determine, how do we figure out if you get a private suite or a shared room in the hospitals? How do we determine if you get the world's best neurosurgeon or the guy who just finished school? I hate to say it, you're going to hate to hear it, but money, that's what we use. And I know it's an unpopular opinion. So we have two ways to determine who gets it. We have two, other, we have two options. Either somebody gets to pick who gets it, or we use money to pick who gets it. And while I don't like the idea of the wealthiest of the wealthy getting the vaccine first, I think I might prefer that to some guy sitting around determining who gets it first. Because that's something that we will never be able to all agree on. And that's what money is used for. It's, it's used to, to allocate limited resources. That's, that's the, one of the prime uses for currency. Now, I wouldn't have a problem if the government wanted to go in and subsidize the vaccine for lower income people. I got no problem with that. Maybe it could be a, a percentage of your income, you know, Maybe they could look at your, your 1099s and they could say, hey, 
You made a million bucks, the vaccine costs you 10000 And you know what? Maybe it goes down by the month. The longer you're willing to wait, the cheaper it gets. Because it, it wouldn't be cool if poor people could never afford the vaccine. I'm, I'm willing to admit that. But the minute you make something free for everyone and you don't have enough for everyone to get it at the same amount of time, somebody is going to pick and choose who gets it. And the same thing has happened with the stimulus packages. Somebody's picking winners and losers. At this point, the federal government should stop giving stimulus money, stop giving help money, and they should allocate it to the states and let the states do with it what they want. Because what's happening is that you're seeing different restrictions. The restrictions that are happening in California should not be paid for by the people in Florida who have no restrictions. And their economy is already in greater shape. So they don't need the money like California does. And you know what? Hey, California, you put sanctions on your own people. You shut down your own economy. You're on your own. You know, people act like it's such a, such a surprise when these places are going out of business. I'm surprised that more places aren't going out of business. Okay, I strayed a little bit. My whole point is that I would like to see something used to allocate the COVID vaccine other than just some people getting to pick and choose because it's still early, right? So at the, at the, at the beginning of this whole thing, we can all agree. It's the very elderly. It's the frontline workers. It's the nurses. It's the doctors. They all deserve it. As time goes on, people are going to be arm wrestling for it. Not, not literally, but maybe you have someone who's made decisions their whole life to be in poor health, but they're still considered high risk. So, should they get it? I don't know. These are the kinds of arguments you're going to see. We're still a ways off. It's still, it's still too scarce for it now. But as, that be, as the drug becomes more readily available, people are going to be fighting for it. It's going to be interesting. Luckily for me, since COVID started, there has only been 5,101 people die between the ages of 39 and 44. So I'm not worried about it. And if I die, if I get it and I die, worrying about it all this time beforehand would have done no good. So let's just go. Let's get through this. Speaking of get through this, if you remember back in July, I said uh, you might want to buy some Bitcoin. And for those of you that don't know, Bitcoin has gone from $12,000 a piece in July to about $28,000. So over double your money. I hope some of you went out there and did it. It's probably too late now. At this point, I'd say just wait. It's probably going to crash again after January. And when it falls to below half price, I would recommend buying it. There's also another cryptocurrency called Ethereum. E-T-H-E-R-I-U-M. Ethereum. I recommend watching that one. Right now, they're about 600 There's also one called Doggycoin. D-O-G-E-C-O-I-N. And right now, it's .004 cents. Tons of room for that one to come up. Once again, this stuff is super volatile. Don't invest, or really, it's more like gambling. Don't gamble with more than you can afford to lose. That's my advice on that. All right, I think that's going to wrap up today's show. I've got to go be productive. i got to sweep up leaves. i got to do laundry. I gotta clean the kitchen. I need to sweep the floor, and that's probably all I'm gonna get done. You know, there's there's stuff on my list that I put it on my list, and I think to myself, yeah, that's uh, that's really not priority. 
but I'm going to go ahead and put it on here in case I feel ultra motivated. Anyway, I appreciate you listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. My name is Brandon Harper. I hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas and you have a great New Year's. I hope 2021 cancels 2020. We can all start over again. I recommend everyone to go out there, be brave, voice your opinion, be respectful, never accept because I said so as an answer, and go eat some Indian curry. Gosh darn it. You will like it. I don't see how anyone cannot like it. Okay, we're not talking about that. Thanks again for listening. Life in Paradise podcast. Keep it tranquilo. Virginia coal mines and the Rocky Mountains and the Western skies. And we can skin a buck, we can run a trot line, and a country boy can survive. Country folks can survive. I had a good friend in New York City. He never called me by my name, just Hillbilly. My grandpa taught me how to live off the land, and his taught him to be a businessman. He used to send me pictures of the Broadway nights, and I'd send him some homemade wine. But he was killed by a man with a switchblade knife For $43, my friend lost his life I'd love to spit some beach nut in that dude's eyes And shoot him with my old 45 Cause a country boy can survive Country folks can survive California and South Alabama and little towns all around this land. We can skin a buck and run a trot line and a country boy can survive. Country folks can survive.